Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. I'll read the passage, pray for us, and then we'll consider what the Lord would have for us. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father, as we come before this portion of your word, remind us, Lord, of the sheer goodness of your love towards us in Jesus. Lord, you desire to bless your children and help us to see that ultimately that blessing is in your son, Jesus. So help us to glorify Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of different types of people in life. Some of the people are the, the type A kind of people, which I guess that would mean there's type B's and C's and all that. Some of you are people who like routine. You like the same thing over and over again. Some of you, every time before you get to bed, you have the same process that you go through and it never changes. Some of you, your life is just chaotic and you would like it that way. Every day is different. Some of us can start our homework and set aside two hours and work those two hours and finish our homework and enjoy the rest of our day. Others of us work for 15 minutes, go take a break for an hour, come back for another 15 minutes. I'll put it off for tomorrow, right? Can I get a raise of hands of the life procrastinators in here? Yep. I'm a sinner just as much. Abby, of course you're not like that, right? (laughs) Different personalities. It's funny, as uh, I had this vague memory when I was in the preschool, and I remember I was being observed by the teachers and maybe like some other person, and they were kind of following me around. And you know, in preschool, all you ever do is really just kind of play with the different centers and stuff like that. And and I'd play for something for two minutes, and I'm like, oh, I want to do this now. And they would always make me, Aaron, okay, you have to stop, put this away, and and I just kept going from thing to thing to thing without ever wanting to actually put anything away. And it's funny because I see that same tendency in my kids now. I mean, my kids, it is incredible how clean my house can look. And literally within like 30 minutes, my house looks like a disaster. You know, having four little kids and not a huge house, one kid wants to make crafts, one kid wants to play with the blocks, One kid is making paper airplanes. One kid is making a fort with all the pillows and the blankets. Every part of my house is just cluttered. And the thing that drives me crazy is they will start something. They'll start an art project with glue and paint and cutting paper. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, there's a new Bluey on. Right, which if you don't know, Bluey is like the the biggest, hottest kid show right now. It's it's a decent kid show. Anyone, Bluey? Bluey? Uh, no, Bluey, right? 
And, 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 and they just, they're really into something for a hot second. But the second something that is a little better comes along, they just immediately drop what they're doing and engage in that new thing. And sadly, that characterizes at times a lot of people who live in the kingdom of God. That people begin to follow Jesus out of this desire to to live for him. People are attracted to this type of ethical teaching that Jesus gives, that we should live out the golden rule, that we should treat others as the way that we want to be treated, that we would turn the other cheek that we would be salt and light in the world. And there are people who, who come to church with their friends and they, they're excited about the community. There's people there who notice them and love them and value them. And then they hear about Jesus and they're like, I'm all in with Jesus. But just as a kid who starts an art craft that easily is distracted to something else, So many times people claim to be part of Jesus' kingdom, but they lack persistence. They lack persistence. Do me a favor. Keep your finger on this passage and and turn a few pages over to Mark chapter 4. Now, I believe this might be the second or third time I've referenced this passage while studying the Sermon on the Mount, but I think it is so helpful for us to always consider what Jesus teaches about his kingdom. Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter four, beginning in verse one. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. So they got into a boat and sat in on it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears, let him hear. Now Jesus explains this parable a few verses down. Let's go ahead and read that portion as well. Beginning in verse 14 of Mark 4. The sower sows the word. The seed is the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil 
are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. So as we consider this passage in Matthew chapter 7, the reason why I want to give extra pause and consideration is because of the audience to which this message is going. There are a lot of sobering statistics that show again and again and again that large amounts of students who grow up in the church, and by the time they enter into college and finish college, a large percent of students who've their entire life heard the story of Jesus walk away from the faith. You, you won't talk to a single youth pastor, uh, I would take that back, a single good youth pastor, without them being aware of this startling statistic. And you, you would think with, with, with the alarming rates to which young people leave the church to never come back, that we would think and ponder and consider, are we doing something wrong? Are, are, are students in our churches, are they actually hearing and understanding the call of Jesus, the gospel? Are they being sold into just another community program where their friends are and hear some inspirational songs and some games? Because what all of you will soon realize when you're out of your parents' house and you're all young adults is it's not hard to find community. It's not hard to find meaning in life and other things. You can generally be a good person and be nice and not have to read your Bible or go to church. And sadly, the reason why I think so many students walk away from the faith is because they don't really understand the gospel. Can, 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 you, can you see my heart a little bit shine through when, when I say most students leave the faith because they leave a faith that they really don't understand? How bold and strategic am I when every single week my job and my mission, when I unfold a portion of God's word, is to remind you again of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. To, to preach Christ. That you may persistently cling to him and hold fast to your confession of faith. And even just as the parable of the sower says, not only that you just hang on, but that you bear fruit 30 times fold, 60 times fold, 100 times fold. It's not that even my desire is that simply you kind of hang on as a Christian. Or maybe you go to church still and you kind of hang on to this faith a little bit, but more or less your sanctification just plummets. That there's no desire for holiness, no desire to be in the word, no desire to pray, no desire to know this God and to serve him and to glorify God in all things. But yeah, I'm, I'm still a Christian. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you haven't picked up on this, it is an all-consuming ethic to live in his kingdom. It is a paradigm-shifting commitment. It is a commitment into which we recognize the call to follow Jesus is a call to pick up our crosses and follow him. It really is, guys. Listen, it is a call to come and die. See, the beauty, though, in this call of Jesus 
is really a call to find your true life. You know, we call it the, the, the paradox of the Christian life, the upside-down economy of God, that when you are low, you are actually high. When you are poor, you are rich. When you give up your life, you actually find your life. That those who are truly willing to persist in this faith are, are the ones who will be willing to suffer for it. And, and the passage here, I know it's a long introduction, but I just hope to build this sense of, of seriousness over this passage and a few passages that follow in Matthew chapter 7. I mean, I literally picked Sermon on the Mount so that we can take our time going through Matthew chapter 7. And the, the, the passage that we have, and it is, it's, it's, I don't know if it's sad or ironic, but most passages will preach this passage. Here are three strategies that you need to do living in the kingdom of God. And, you know, and their first point is going to be all about you need to ask. And their second point is going to all be about you need to seek. And then their third point is you need to knock. I don't think Jesus has that in mind. What Jesus is actually warning us here, he's warning us that there, are, there will be some, just like those who, who see, they pop up, it looks like they're Christians, it looks like they're all in for a quick second, but whatever it is, the temptations of the world, the tribulations that come, they fall away. And Jesus here, what he really is talking about is persisting in his kingdom, desiring God, Right, And so what I want to show in this passage is just two points. I know it's, it's a miracle. I only have two points. If you listen to most of my preaching, it's always three. But, but tonight, it's only two points. How do we persist in the faith? How, how do we, you know that song we just sang, Christ will hold me fast, right? What is the way in which Christ will hold us fast? First point, persist in prayer. Persist in prayer. Verse seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. You see, like I said, a lot of people think that Jesus is making all of these nuanced points, that there's something different between asking and seeking, and there's something different than seeking and knocking. You know, a lot of times when Jesus, uh, that passage in, in Mark, and there's one in Matthew too, but the greatest commandment, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I just think it's so funny when pastors make a sermon about what does it mean to love God with all your mind? And they make their point. What does it mean to love God with all your soul? And they make their point. Jesus isn't trying to make a bunch of new ones. He's just saying, what, what's he just trying to, he's just saying, love God with all of who you are. That, that's the point he's making. You know, we don't need to belabor this point. And, and, and same thing here. Jesus is just saying, like, ask, talk to God, seek him, pursue him, pray, be persistent in praying to God. You see, the reason why prayer is so important in the life of someone who lives in the kingdom 
is it because it reminds us of the very way we enter into the kingdom. Do you guys remember the very first beatitude, the very first ethic of someone who is part of the kingdom of God, who is a Christian? If your mind has forgotten, that's okay. Turn one page over. Look at chapter five, verse three. Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, the reason why people often get so sidetracked away from Jesus, why do they stop persisting in the faith? And the answer, of course, is this, is that they try to persist in the kingdom on their own strength. They have forgotten that the only way I am in this kingdom is by the grace of God. I can't do this on my own. I cannot persist by just making sure that I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to do it, right? How many of us, sometimes when it, when it comes to the Christian life, we try to motivate ourselves, right? I, I, I kid you not, what I would do sometimes is I would, I would get in my room, I would turn on like the most like inspirational Phil Wickham type of song, and I'd make it so loud that I couldn't hear anything else, and, and I would just try to talk myself into, I'm going to pray more. And I would kind of conjure up these feelings, you know, as long as it took to kind of finally get that sense of like, oh, I'm excited about God. How long does it last for? If I was lucky, it would last a night, right? And then, you know, someone would probably annoy me and then I would say a swear word in my head and then I would go right back to shaming myself. Why did you do that? What's the matter with you? How many of us have tried to persist in doing a good thing by simply just by fleshly motivation. Like, hey, if I swear at all today, you get to punch me three times. If I, if I look at this website, you get to smash my computer. I don't, I've, heard of, I've heard of worse things, to be honest. And we think that persistence in the faith is simply just relying on my efforts. Now, now here's, here's a good point to think about because what I'm not saying either is that the Christian life doesn't involve effort. It absolutely does. Sanctification is something where the Bible says, pursue it, strive to stay on the narrow path. You know, the apostle Peter would say, make every effort towards pursuing godliness. The problem is, is that we make every effort with means of ourselves. When God has provided means for our efforts through grace. And one of those means, guys, listen, is prayer. It's asking God, God, please give me the faith today to live for your kingdom. God, I'm seeking you with my whole heart. God, my, my heart is tempted to look at the riches of the world, to look at the, the, the fleshly desires of the world. Father, I'm coming before you and I'm asking, would you help me to see Jesus and the beauty of the life that I have in him? See, persistence in the kingdom is an effort to rely on on the grace that God has. 
You see, again, if, if, if we are admitting that we come into this kingdom poor, that we are spiritually poor, why would we think that we persist in this faith by just kind of shaming ourselves or trying to motivate ourselves by self-talk? And I think when it comes to prayer, I think a lot of us here, we don't need to be shamed into saying you should pray more. Because I've been a Christian for a long time, and you want to know something? I have never met a Christian who could ever say, yeah, I pray enough. In fact, most Christians I meet immediately fold and melt under the conviction that we don't pray hardly enough. I appreciate John Piper. He says social media will always be the one excuse that we can never use to say that we didn't have time to pray. He's right. Then none of us can get to God and say, I, I was too busy. Well, how many hours this week did you watch Netflix? How many hours this week were you just trolling on your phone? You see, Jesus is saying here, hey, God is going to supply you with that persistency, but you need to pray. Now again, how, how do we apply this point? How do, how, do we, how do we apply this point in such a way that we don't come across legalistically, that we don't come across of like, oh, you're right, I don't pray, I should pray more, shame on me. And that's exactly what Jesus has in mind. When he, when he, you know, Because again, I think he knows us. He knows the people in his kingdom. He knows that they're gonna be people who are like the seed on the, uh, uh, you know, in the thorns, the seed in the rocks, the seed on the dry path. And he's saying, listen, you need to persist in prayer. Be like, oh, it's just so hard. He says, yeah, I know. But second point is this. Persist in reminding yourself of the goodness of your heavenly Father. Look at the verse with, with me, would you? Verse nine. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Part of Jesus' motivation for our prayer life is to remember that we have a heavenly father who truly delights in giving his children good gifts. Uh, pardon me, I, I love this passage because Jesus just comes right out and says it. All of you who are evil. He just comes right out and says it. This is who you guys are. But guess what? Even all of you evil humans, you know that when you're, Kids are hungry. You don't just give them something that's going to hurt them. And Jesus' argument here is, is one of those type of how much more than arguments. Do me a favor. Again, keep your finger right here. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Just to get a good example of this type of argument that we see in Scripture. And I think one of the best arguments we see is in Romans chapter 8.
Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now listen very carefully. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul hears his argument is, if God is willing to give you the best gift of all, of giving up his son, how much more than will he be willing to give us all other things? How much more than type of argument? And that's what Jesus is saying about our Father in heaven. You know, remember, Jesus has already talked, matter of fact, on the same page of the Bible. If you just go over to the other line in my Bible, we see the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says that we should pray to our Father who is in heaven, right? And we pray that we would hallow his name and his kingdom come. And so when Jesus is reminding us that the way we persist in the kingdom is by a persistence in prayer, he realizes that the only motivation that we're going to have to pray is to remember the sheer goodness of God. Hey guys, if you hear anything tonight, hear this one thing. God's natural posture towards you is not a pointed finger. It is open arms. Some of us think, you know, yeah, God loves me, but, but the way he comes to us is kind of like how a little boy, when he touches a slug. And that couldn't be further from the truth. God has open arms. He loves his children. And so guys, listen. We will be tempted in this life to lose interest with Jesus. You're like, yay, Jesus, right now in the kingdom. But we live in a world in which the desires of the flesh are strong. There is a war waging in our soul between the, the spirit and the flesh. And Jesus, again, you, you will see here in a little bit, how there will be many people who will come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we not do all these things in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. Jesus will talk at detail about you can know a true tree by, by the fruit that it bears. And you can know a good teacher by what he teaches. And that ultimately, the way we live out this entire sermon is to be like the wise man who builds his house not on the sand, but on the rock. And so I think there's, there's a sense in which I want to come back here and I want you to just think, are, are we tempted in any way to lose sight of the all-encompassing call to live in the kingdom of God? Do we truly honestly think that being a Christian is just someone who comes to a room, who sometimes reads this old and big and long book, and we kind of talk to the spirit in the sky, and we know some things about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, but more or less, it really makes no impact on my day-to-day life's decisions. 
Because if that is really our view of God, we have lost complete sight of who Christ is, of what his kingdom is like. And so, guys, listen. Your heavenly father, he wants to give you good things. He wants to see his children persist. And guess what? He will answer every prayer that is desperate for his grace. He will answer every prayer that says, oh Lord, help me in this day to pursue righteousness, to pursue your word. Oh Father, I am asking today, put heaven in my heart and may I sow the seeds of the kingdom in every single place I go. That is a prayer that your heavenly Father loves to answer. And in closing, let me just say, it could be tempting as a young person to hear the call of Jesus and to be slightly overwhelmed. Kind of like, whoa, Aaron, you're getting a little deep on me, man. Like, okay, I get it. Like, I love Jesus. He loves me. Like, why can't it be like this simple? Like, why I got to make it all heavy and hard? Well, let me end by saying this. Jesus is very right. Your Father in heaven gives good things to those who ask him. And again and again and again, let me just tell you, those good things are not necessarily better circumstances, more money, better grades, more time to yourself. The best gift that your heavenly father has for you is his son, Jesus. And when you come to God, and you truly say, help me to enjoy this gift of Jesus. Help me to embrace the Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. Help me to love this Jesus as he has loved me. Help me to follow this Jesus as he has called me to follow. Help me to be this Jesus to all of those who are around me. This is the gift that your heavenly father most wants to give. And so if we are ever in doubt of the goodness of God, and we always, always look right back to the cross and see the Father's love. Let's pray. Lord, I, I do pray that you would help all of our hearts here persist in a manner that we would pursue you in prayer, that we would ask and seek and knock your blessings, God, your goodness. And, and Lord, I pray for all these students here, God, I pray that they would have a renewed interest in pursuing you, Lord, that, that prayer would not be a chore, that it would not be a burden, but, oh, Father, that it would be a delight that we could call you our Father. Put heaven in our hearts, we pray. All of this in Jesus' name, amen.